All right, we're still here. Amen. Well, I decided I wouldn't make this like a goodbye service. I've had plenty of goodbyes and lots of lots of times to weep. Now, I might I can't promise I won't do some of that, but um, I feel like it's important today that I preach on the cross. If there's ever any message, I think, that is central, it's absolutely central to the life of the church, it is the message of the cross. Paul told the Corinthians something like this. If he was a South Carolinian, he would have said it this way. He said, I reckon not to know anything else much about anything except the power of the cross. said, the world will look at that in a different way. Some will call it foolish, scandalous. But the message of the cross is central. And I've tried in my best to, in my ministry here to, to find a way, in any message I ever had, to find a way to end at the cross or end at the ground beneath the cross. It's where we're called. And so... Um, we've had a lot of rain, have we not? And you go down to the big rivers now, and they are running mighty high. And they're being fed by springs and creeks that themselves are filled up, and they're heading down to the rivers. So I want you to know this about God's Word. There's lots of little springs and creeks in God's Word. And it's all heading to the revelation of God's love through His Son, His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and our faith in Him. And so today, I want you to turn to the book of Mark. I love the book of Mark for its simplicity, for the way it just states things without a whole lot of elaboration. Chapter 15 will go. Chapter 15, verse 22, we will be. <clears throat> In the book of Mark, there's a question that's on the people's lips all the way through. They are listening to Jesus teach, and they're watching Jesus as He touches people's lives, the change in people's lives, healings, and all kinds of change, spiritual changes. And the question on everybody's lips is, who is this man? Who is this man? And in the book of Mark, it's treated as really like a secret. Like it's something yet to be revealed. Something yet to be seen. And as he tells it, it's here at the cross. When it's finally understood who he is. And so Mark chapter 15 verse 22 this story, 
You know, I know it's Christmas time. And we might have could have heard one more Christmas sermon. But you know what? Even at Christmas, you remember last week, Mary pondered these things in her heart? Well, that was something Mary did her whole life. And she's there at the cross. The shadow of the cross, even at the birth of Jesus, was there. He will be the Savior of the world. And here's how it comes about. Verse 22. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he would not receive it. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments and they cast lots upon them, whatever man should take. And it was the third hour they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over his head, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on his right hand and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And they passed by and railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and builds it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. And let Christ the King of Israel... Descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi. Lama Sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calls Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it him to drink, saying, Let alone, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. And that's the reading from the book of Mark, from the Gospels. And here we see at the end of the crucifixion the profession of who Jesus is. The question is answered by a centurion. This is why, and I refer to the centurion often. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. There's something about a centurion, they're a real soldier. They were a hardened soldier. They were leaders. They were a leader. It was his task to crucify Jesus. 
Those of us who have had the opportunity to serve as soldiers or in the military, we might remember certain characters, maybe a master sergeant or a top sergeant somewhere, that would have the kind of character about them, a commander, a commander. Then about 13 years ago, I had the privilege to go down to my home county, where I'm from. By the way, there's a rumor out that I'm heading back to South Carolina. Don't let this orange tie. I'm I'm here in Buncombe County. But we had the privilege to go down to the Cowpens battlefield. Brian was in that group. My brother. My brother-in-law. Anybody else, Brian? That was it. That was us. So we go down and we mingle. And there's hundreds of soldiers there to reenact the battle of Cowpens. I won't bore you with that just to say it was the turning point of the whole Revolutionary War. It was. Read it. So we're mingling with all these soldiers and finally we come to the place for the time of the battle. And it just so happens that the History Channel is there. And they've erected this giant scaffolding on which they've got their booths and their cameras and they're right there looking over the battlefield. Well, I got there a little bit early before anybody else. And I just meandered right up to that right up there to where the History Channel was, and at the bottom of the scaffolding there, I just stood there waiting on things to start. And I didn't realize that they were forming a line way back, about 30, 40 yards back. And so when I looked back, I saw that all my family and all these, there was hundreds of people there. They were all lined up, and the park rangers were holding them back. Well, I didn't see the park rangers. I just saw my brother-in-law, who was sort of a loud ex-military guy. And I signaled to him, come on up here where I'm at. This is a better view. We're going to be right in front of it. So he started. He got about halfway there. And then he looked back to Brian and my brother, and he said, hey, come on here. Well, when he said that, they, they started coming. And the whole crowd, hundreds of people, started coming. And they come right up to the line where the battle was going to be. We were right there, on, right there by the horses. They're swishing their tails on us. And we watched that battle unfold. Here was a commander. He was a leader of the Roman soldiers. He was a hardened soldier, this man was in charge of crucifying. And it's really surprising because his confession is strictly from what he has been involved with Jesus at that very moment. He doesn't know Jesus. He's the crucifying man. And so Jesus is there to be crucified and it's surprising With no previous contact, under adverse conditions, a more unlikely candidate could be found in all of Jerusalem that day than this man to be the one who would profess Jesus as Lord. 
Son of God. And him, a Gentile, had no knowledge of the Scriptures. What did he see and what did he hear? And you know, the book of Mark and all the Gospels are very just plain spoken about a crucifixion. Now for us, we might elaborate it to help understand what it is, but they knew what it was. The Roman crucifixion was well known across that whole part of the world. And there is what he saw. There that willingness of Jesus to maintain full awareness, refusing to dull his pain with the vinegar that was or the wine that was offered to him. Crucified, verse 24. One word describes that. Verse 26 through 32, mocked and scoffed and humiliated. He's been nailed, hands and feet to the cross and stretched. His body's been lifted up and dropped into a hole on the cross. It's an agonizing, torturous kind of death. It was designed to be that way. It was a terrorism that the Romans inflicted on all those who were their subjects for them to see what it meant to turn against Rome. And so this mocking and scoffing. Now it would be common perhaps for soldiers who were there to do this. They hated their job. They hated these people. And for them to turn against and to scoff and mock was was probably common. But here in this case, there was also a wild chorus of people. People from Jerusalem who had come out. Fellow Jews who had come out and they also had been gathered up in this hatred toward Jesus. <clears throat> and they were there and they were, they were a wild chorus, you might say, around the cross. The crowd, even the criminals who were there being crucified with him. It said they reviled him. And then three hours of darkness, unexplainable darkness. In the middle of the day. And then the suffering. Verse 34. The suffering of the soul. The suffering of the soul of Jesus. My God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? That's a pretty powerful praying. That's a prayer. You ever been in a place... Where you've prayed things that might have been hard for God to listen to. God's got a big heart. He knows. This is what he heard. This was the darkest day on earth. And perhaps it represented the darkness of men's souls. Verse 35, 36. Attempts to revive him. Confusion. Further derision. Verse 37. Father, forgive them. From the cross. Now there's our model right there. If there's ever anything that should be to us as an example and as part of his command. When he taught us to pray. Forgive 
your debtors as you have been forgiven. That's our model. So that's not easy. That's not easy. You think this was easy? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then in verse 37, the loud cry. And we hear in another gospel what he said. It is finished. And I'm, I'm finished with my road. This will be it. This is what I present to God. This is obedience unto death. <clears throat> this is the cross and a cry. And it wasn't a cry of sadness. It's the cry that one might hear from a racer who's just crossed the goal line. Or whatever they call those lines. Goal line's good. Like that Clemson Tiger guy just run right through that goal line. Raise that fist. Well, what was the impression he had on he had of this crucified one? He had just witnessed the moment we know. Of sin bearing, bearing sin. Him who was without sin, the Bible says, bears the sins of the whole world. Every sacrifice you see in the Old Testament days points to this sacrifice. All those lambs and sheep, bullock and pigeons point to this sacrifice. He had witnessed, he didn't know all that, of course. He had witnessed a lot of deaths. This was his place. He had witnessed a lot of deaths. He had, he had seen murderers be crucified. But I believe he also had seen innocent people crucified. This wasn't his first time. He had seen this before. He had seen people of great faith who had been crucified. Because of their faith. And the danger it might have posed toward Rome or perceived so. He had, he had watched people die. Many with total defiance. Cursing the Romans as they, as they went about their work. And so no doubt Jesus' demeanor was extraordinary. I, we would say so probably. There was an awe. There was a questioning moment about him from what he could see. There was, I think, a desire in his heart to know more about him. He suffered this violence and yet such faith and then this final cry. So he had come to the moment of truth. Of deciding who is this man. And that's the moment of truth for every one of us. Who is this man? I'm sure he was attracted to Jesus in some way. The Bible says, Jesus said, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. There's something in this tragic crucifixion of Jesus that pulls us, that speaks to us, that says something to us. He probably felt he had the evidence before him, but with the naked eye, with reason, could he see who Jesus was? I don't think so. Not from just what he saw, 
as extraordinary as it was, he was made to see. God opened his eyes and his heart. Look at verse 38 there. It says a very odd verse. After Jesus had given up the ghost in verse 37, verse 38 says, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Torn. Now, if you were to go over to the temple, that's a pretty high place up there. That curtain's tall. I don't know how many feet it would be, but it would be tall. And it was rent from top to bottom. And that's significant. The word used there for rent in the King James or tear, as it might be in other versions, tear, opens. That word is only used one other time in the Greek New Testament. And it's used at Jesus' baptism. You remember we read about it? And the heavens opened. And God spoke from heaven and said, Thou art my son in whom I'm well pleased. The veil tore from top to bottom. That veil stood before the Holy of Holies. There's where the presence of God was assumed by all the Jews. As if God were saying, I'm coming out. And His Holy Spirit at that moment, I believe, began to pour out. And He spoke to this man's heart, the Holy Spirit. He spoke to this man's heart. When God tears, like this word tears, when God tears, something's about to be revealed. And here was the man who was in the place. Behind all this, God was acting and revealing at Jesus' suffering and death. Something other than just a death on a cross of some man. There was something happening here. God was in this. God was in this and this suffering of His Son represented the suffering of God's own heart for His loved creation, His people. John said this in the book, in one of the letters to John, he said, We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God. And God illuminated this man's heart. It, he threw a light into his heart. Totally uninitiated to that point, under the most adverse circumstances we could dream of, that he could realize who Jesus is and how far the barrier between God and man had been eradicated. People thought there was all kind of formalities you would have to go through to get to God. And God's saying right here through this man, I'm coming to your heart. Like John Newton, you know, the old Christian that we know him as an old Christian, but prior to that, a slave trader. Somehow his heart melted down and he wrote This song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The Lord finds us, and He calls us. 
And he was made to see because God acted. In 1 John, again, the letter of John, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So everyone who confesses Jesus Christ does so by God's own speaking to their soul. Somewhere these and we, somewhere we've had a moment with God. And we've answered his call. I love you. I love you. And like so many, we've come unworthy, recognizing, acknowledging that we're sinners, admitting to God that we're sinners and asking his forgiveness. I don't know how it happened in your life, where it happened, how it happened. I talked to these before we baptized. That's the most important matter is our own personal commitment to Jesus Christ. More important than the baptism. That confession, truly this man is the son of God, represents the confession of every Christian. The centurion was only the first fruits, the first fruit born from the cross and from the work of God. I believe this man became one of the early followers of Jesus. And so to perceive that is how we start with Him and how we continue to walk with Him. And that confession is still the conviction of the church through the ages. This church was commissioned way back in 1941. Several churches came here to help establish this church. This church was to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's our commission. That's the continuing mission of the church. All our worship and teaching, everything we do in our church serving wise is to help make known our Savior to a lost world. And that's the burning truth in all of our hearts. That's what keeps us. We sing that song, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my ransomed soul shall find rest beyond the river. I'll never forget hearing that song sung in a prison with an old piano that you really had to know how to play a piano to ever got any kind of sound out of this piano. It was so broken down. But a man in prison, a Christian man, he sat down, he played that piano, and these inmates were there. There were probably 30 of them. And they were singing, In the cross, in the cross. And as they sang, I don't think I've ever heard more beautiful singing. Of these men. And strangely, the back door, it was double doors back there, blew open. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit coming like a wind and moved about in that room. 
God loves us. It doesn't matter who we are, where we are. He loves us and His offer is to us. And this cross spoke to that centurion, that hardened soldier, to his heart. And you see what he said. Verse 39. He saw that Jesus had so died and had given up the ghosts. And he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Nobody in Mark had ever said that. Now we get glimpses of it through Peter and others. But here's the confession. He's the Son of God. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we thank You for Your Word. And God, thank You for letting me be here to preach one more time. And God, to preach the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray that God, if there be anybody here today, that God would hear these words and say, I I know I'm a sinner. And I ask Jesus to come into my heart and save me. And ask Him to forgive me of my sins. And I believe He died on the cross for me. And He rose to new life. And I want to follow Him all my days. Something like that. If anybody's here today that wants to make that profession either here or after this service, I'll be glad to pray with you there. So, Father, we just thank you now we can have this invitation before the Lord's Supper. We ask God you'll guide us and lead our thoughts and minds in Jesus' name. I'm going to sing, we're going to just sing a verse or two. If somebody is feeling a sense of the Lord, this is business with the Lord. This is not about me today, it's about the Lord about us and the Lord. And if there's in your heart today a need to make a significant decision for Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do so. Let's stand together as we sing. We'll be singing uh, hymn number 146. So let's stand and we sing as we sing.